And welcome to In Your Corner, the number anytime, one eight three three in your corner. That's four six nine six eight seven two or help at inyourcorner.ca. Lots of stuff to get through this week on the show, uh, fellas. James, Savan, good to talk to you guys. We've got a bunch of emails and questions to get through. But we always start the show and a reminder as well, In Your Corner happens on Global TV Sundays at eight thirty AM. So we are all over TV. And radio, as you know, but as we get to the uh, the show today, we always start with the week that was. So what's going on, fellas? Hey, John, let me start off by um, yep. talking about a question that was posted to MyDisabilityQuestions.com, that website we have that's free. Yep. Uh, if you have any questions about long-term disability and you want quick answers for free, you can go to that website and post your question. You'll get your answer in minutes. So this one comes from uh, a lady in Hamilton. Here's what she writes. She says, hello, I'm on LTD benefits. If the company terminates my employment a layoff, what happens to my LTD benefits? Now, that's a common question that we get. Oftentimes, unfortunately, people on disability also have issues with their employer. And a lot of employers don't understand that they have a certain obligation towards their employees. John, you speak with Lior all the time on the employment hour about these issues. Well, one thing people need to understand is this, that if you are on LTD and you get let go from your job, your LTD benefits don't get affected by that. And what I mean by that is, you are still entitled to remain on LTD so long as you qualify under the provisions of the policy. So you have to show that you are totally disabled. That said, if you are let go, that raises potential employment issues. Number one, we have to figure out if you're getting the proper severance. So we have, of course, lawyers on the team that can help you with that. But but what's as important is not only are you getting the proper severance, it's the fact that if you are let go when you're on disability, that's a potential human rights violation. And that has an impact on your LTD payments, not on whether you qualify for LTD, not on whether or not you should continue to receive LTD, but in terms of any deduction that uh, the insurance company is entitled to. So let me give you an example, John. Let's say that you get $2,000 a month for LTD. Let's say you've been let go and you're getting a severance payment of $10,000. Well, guess what? Your LTD policy likely has a provision that states that if you are entitled to severance, if you get severance, the insurance company gets a credit for that severance. So if they're paying you $2,000 a month and you're just getting $10,000 in severance, they may not pay you potentially for the next five months, right? Right. $10,000 worth of LTD benefits. But here's the thing. If they let you go when you are disabled and there is a human rights violation, then you potentially may get not $10,000 in severance, but perhaps $5,000 in severance and $5,000 in human rights damages. The insurance company cannot get a deduction for the human rights damages. So that means that the insurance company is only getting a deduction for $5,000. So you see, it's very, very important that if you're an LTD and you get let go from your job, you contact us so we can help you not only to deal with the issue of severance to make sure you got the proper severance, but also make sure that the insurance company doesn't get more of a deduction uh, than than is absolutely necessary so you can keep more, more of that money in your pocket. Again, the number one eight three three in your corner one eight three three four six nine six eight seven two. Help at inyourcorner.ca. We'll get to a bunch of emails uh, very shortly, but still uh, more to go here, pal. What else you got uh, going on in your world today? Here's another question that was posted, and this is an interesting scenario. So this uh, this comes from uh, a lady in Mississauga. She writes, "My husband is a recovering alcoholic. He was sober for three years, but after an abundance of stress, he started drinking. He had to go off work. He was approved for short-term disability." However, they are stating that he has to go into an inpatient facility to be approved for LTD. There are numerous reasons why he can't. One is his health. This is now causing more stress. He has not had a drink in six weeks. 
he's willing to do a day patient program and is under the care of his physician. Right. And there are so many other factors I can't possibly type. Uh, can they force him into an inpatient program? So this is a very interesting question because here you have uh, a scenario where this individual is clearly under the care of a doctor. The LTD insurer, I don't know if it's the same insurer as uh, whoever's paying him for shortened disability, but they're clearly saying to him that in order to qualify for LTD, he has to go into an inpatient program. Now, what I would do in that situation is I would want to take a look at the policy. I doubt that the policy contains a provision that states that he has to go into an inpatient program in order to qualify. My view is this. If his doctor is saying that he's getting proper treatment, if alcoholism is not excluded under the policy, and in many policies it's not, and he's in fact disabled from working, the insurance company should not be saying, should not be taking the position that unless he goes into an inpatient program, he will not qualify. This has to do with the issue of mitigation. He has to show that he's trying to get better. He's tr- he has to show not only that he's disabled, but that he's following all proper medical advice. So what I would suggest to this lady, and I did that when I answered that, uh, that question, is that I would like to meet or, or speak with her husband and her. I would like to see the correspondence between him and the insurance company to review the policy, to look at any medical documents that were submitted. And then we can, you know, I, I can advise them literally within minutes whether or not he has a case against the insurance company. But this is an example, again, of insurance companies trying to put barriers uh, for people who are legitimately trying to get long-term disability uh, under policies that they paid good money for and then getting rejected by the insurance company. The, the only thing I would add to that, I agree with everything that you've said, but this is really a good opportunity to remind people that the comments that we're making are based on what is a typical long-term disability policy. In the broad concepts, most of the uh, language of the policy is more or less the same in substance from a standard LTD policy of one company to another. However, there are some differences. And one of the areas where there are differences um, more than occasionally is how they treat substance abuse and alcoholism. So I I completely agree with Savan. I would really want to take a look at the policy um, in detail before I provide a firm answer one way or the other. But unless there is a specific um, clause that requires inpatient treatment um, for alcoholism or an exclusion for alcoholism, then I don't think the insurance company has any basis to take that position. We'll uh, take a short break, fellas. Get to some emails here. You want to send one along. In the meantime, help at inyourcorner.ca. The phone number anytime, toll free, one eight three three in your corner as well. This is In Your Corner continues right here. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. one eight three three in your corner is the number. It is help at inyourcorner.ca as well. Beth, first up, your email. Get to it uh, right now. She says, I've been on LTD for almost two years and have a good relationship with my adjuster. But she just called me this week and said that they will be cutting me off because I don't meet the new total disability definition. She said that they cut almost everyone off at the two-year point and that I should be thinking about getting back to work. I was shocked to hear this. Is this common? Well, Beth, thank you very much for writing in. Two things I think uh, we need to address in your email here. The first is your relationship with your adjuster. And I'm glad that you've had a good relationship with your adjuster. That's great. Um, It's always preferable to have positive interactions. But having said that, you know, take everything with a grain of salt. Remember that your insurance company is a corporation and they're in business and their business Mm -hmm. is to make money. So it's, you know, obviously you would prefer to have a good ongoing relationship and you should be polite and do what you can to maintain that. But always keep in the back of your mind that you're the only one in the relationship that really has your best interests at heart. 
Um, and your insurance company does not. They may be polite and nice to you, but you are the only one that is protecting your best interests unless and until you hire a lawyer to represent you. So that's the first thing. The second thing um, is the information that she's providing for you about um, you know, what happens at the two-year mark and the reason why she's saying that you're going to be cut off. So in virtually every policy, after two years of getting benefits, there is a change in definition. And what that change, it's a change in the definition of totally disabled. In other words, right. the test that you have to meet in order to be paid benefits. Up till the two-year mark of receiving benefits, you qualify as long as you're not able to return to the occupation you had at the time you became disabled. Whatever you were doing at that time, if you're not able to return to that occupation, you qualify. Mm -hmm. After two years, the test changes. It becomes harder. The test becomes whether or not you are able to return to any occupation that you are qualified to do by training, education, or experience. So it is certainly a broader test. And um, because of that, yes, there will be many people that will be cut off at the two-year mark. But it certainly is not almost everyone. And really, it depends on the type of disability that you're talking about. For example, if you have a purely physical disability, um, let's say you, know, you are working construction and you become a paraplegic. Well, you're not likely going to be able to continue your construction job. Um, in fact, you almost certainly won't be able to. And so for those two years, you're going to be entitled to receive your disability benefits. But after the two-year mark, just because you are a paraplegic does not mean that you can't be employed. There are many paraplegics um, that are in the employment field, that have jobs, that earn money, um, that are certainly employable doing sedentary work or other jobs. And so after the two-year mark, you really have to take a look at the test and see what you are, in fact, able to do. So without a little bit more information, I can't really tell you, Beth, whether or not you would be entitled beyond the two-year mark. But I can tell you that it is not a rubber stamp type of thing. It's not a fait accompli just because two years into your benefits, um, they're telling you that everyone gets cut off. That is not the case. So take a look. At, we need to take a look at and see what it is that your disability is preventing you from doing, what your doctors are saying, and then we can certainly provide you with a better opinion and handle it that way. But um, certainly uh, we'll want to take a look at that sooner than later. They're telling you in advance. And so if there is a basis to challenge their position, if your doctors are saying even beyond the two-year mark, you're not going to be able to return to any occupation, then we can challenge them now. We don't have to wait until that two-year mark is hit. John, one thing that I want to add here to what James said is this. Uh, insurance companies routinely cut people at the two-year mark. It's rare for me to see someone uh, who's telling me that the insurance adjuster has actually admitted to them that almost everyone uh, gets cut off at the two-year mark. That tells me that there is an underlying policy, uh, perhaps an unwritten policy that the insurance company has to try and get people off claim. Mm -hmm. And what I will tell you is, is this, the vast majority of people who contact us at the firm uh, who are being cut off, uh, haven't yet or, or have been cut off around that two-year mark, they're contacting us because clearly they're very concerned that they are not ready to go back to any type of work. And again, in the vast majority of cases, not only are they concerned that they can't go back to any work at, at that point in time, but their doctors are concerned that they can't go back at any point in time. And in fact, in many cases, those doctors have written directly to the adjuster and appeal to them to tell them that their patients are now ready to go back. So when people contact us or when people get these letters or emails or phone calls from the adjuster saying, you're going to be cut off because we think you can do something else, don't take that at face value. 
Just the fact that the insurance company is telling you that does not make it a fact, okay? Just just don't assume that what they're telling you is correct. And that's what we tell people, contact us, let us review the policy, let us review the medical documentation, let us talk to you, and we will be able to tell you fairly quickly if you can challenge the insurer's decision. The other thing I would add, and this is really following up on your comments, Savon, is um, the admission by the adjuster that they cut off almost everyone at the two-year mark is quite interesting. And when you get an adjuster giving you information like that that doesn't seem correct or seems a little bit shocking, the best thing to do, as with any conversation you're having with your adjuster over the phone, is to write it down and then immediately confirm it in an email. That way, the adjuster is going to have to be for they're going to be forced to decide whether or not they want to stand by that position or whether they want to say, oh, no, you misunderstood me. It's not almost everybody. It's just in your particular case. And if they change their tune, then at the very least, they're going to have to explain exactly why. And that's going to be in writing. You want everything to be in writing. So down the road, there is no debate over who said what, because if you don't put it in writing, I can promise you. Anything that they say that seems shocking to you now, they're going to deny having said. Guys, I want to take a short break. I want to get into the topic of your doctor versus the insurance company's doctor because I know you get questions about this all the time. Uh, in the meantime, as we go to break, the number is one eight three three in your corner, and email is help at inyourcorner.ca. Reminder as well: Global TV in your corner happens Sundays at eight thirty in the morning on your TV. So tune in for that as well. Lots more in your corner is on the way. On Global News Radio 640 Toronto. In your corner back, one eight three three. In your corner is the number. That's 469-6872 and help at inyourcorner.ca. You will catch the televised version of this show, 30 minutes worth on Global TV Sundays at 8.30 in the morning. Uh, I mentioned, guys, before we left off, and I know uh, James and some of you guys will probably both have something to say about this. We often hear about disabled person's doctor uh, they're treating physicians saying, you know, they're not ready to go back to work. It's not a good time. They're still disabled. They don't qualify. But the insurance company's doctor, who you have to go see if they ask, says the opposite. How do you handle it? Well, John, so this is fairly common. People often contact me and ask me, you know, the insurance company is asking me to go to see one of their doctors. Do I have right. to go and see them? And the answer is yes. You don't have to go and see 50 of those doctors, but when they uh -huh. ask you, at least for the first time, to go see one of their doctors, yes, you have an obligation generally under the policy to go see one of their doctors. That said, whenever they're asking you to go see one of their doctors, to me, that's a red flag. It doesn't mean that, like I said, that you can ignore that. You have to go see one of their doctors, but they're clearly trying to test the proposition that you are perhaps not as disabled as your doctors are right. saying that you are. And what I often see when someone goes to see an insurance doctor is I see that person getting cut off uh, a short while later after the insurance doctor comes back with a report that states that this person is not as disabled uh, as, as they say that they are or as their doctors say that they are. Again, not in every case. In some instances, the insurance doctors actually come back and support the treating physician's opinions that the person is disabled. But here's the thing. Let's say you have a situation, uh, as you've just asked, where you have a treating physician or physician saying this person yep. is disabled. And then that person sees an insurance doctor and the insurance doctor takes the opposite view. What happens? Can you challenge the insurance company's decision to cut you off? Because the insurance company is now relying on their doctor as opposed to yours in making the determination if you qualify. Uh, yes, 100% you can challenge the insurance company's denial. Again, in, in the context of your doctor saying that you are in fact disabled. 
And I'll tell you this. I mean, when James and I look at these cases, we always try to think what's going to happen if, if, you know, we brought these individuals, these doctors to court, if we had a judge review the evidence and listen to these doctors. So now on, on the one hand, I have treating physicians, people who've been treating my client for months, if not years. And on the other hand, I have a doctor who may or may not has seen my client uh, once. And, you know, when a judge would evaluate the evidence, they would be trying to figure out to whom they should listen. Well, let's, con- let's consider the, the, the facts here. Treating physicians are the ones who are treating the individual. They know the person. They know the file. They've been dealing with this individual, again, for weeks, months, or years. So if you're a judge, John, you, you're thinking to yourself, well, on the one hand, I have a, a doctor who's seen this person once, if ever. And on the other hand, I have these doctors who've been treating them for a long time. You know, you tend to think that there would be more credibility or you would have more trust in the doctors that are treating the individual as opposed to the insurance doctor. Something else to consider is this. These insurance doctors are being paid by insurance companies. So again, you have to ask, to who um, are they loyal? Are they loyal to the truth? Are they loyal to the patient, to the individual that they're assessing? Or are they loyal to the insurance company who sends them these cases for which they get paid? And the last thing that I want to say is this. I've had quite a few cases, and I think James uh, will probably say the same thing, where, you know, my client is being treated for a whole slew of ailments. Let's say it's a psychological issue, so there's a psychologist, maybe there's a psychiatrist, an orthopedic surgeon, whatever. And here you have an insurance company who hires a doctor that doesn't have that specialty, that specialty with respect to the disability that my client is suffering from. So, for example, let's say my client has uh, severe depression or has uh, fibromyalgia, chronic pain, etc., and here you have the insurance company who hires a family physician who is not a specialist in those areas, assess my client, or perhaps not even assess my client, but just review the medical file without even assessing my client. Again, think about that. If those doctors were before a judge, who would a judge believe? Would the judge believe the specialist, people who have expertise in the areas that my client is claiming disability under, or would a judge believe a general practitioner, for example, who doesn't have that specialty? So the fact that you were cut off because you went to see an insurance doctor, an insurance doctor provided the insurance company with an unfavorable report about you, does not mean that you no longer have any rights against the insurance company. Again, we want to see the policy, we want to see the reports, we want to see what your doctors are saying. Because again, if you feel that you are disabled from working, if your doctors are saying that you are disabled from working, there is no reason to think that a judge ultimately is going to decide in favor of the insurance company. And again, I want to reiterate, the vast majority of these cases never actually go to court because insurance companies will try and settle the case far, far in advance if we challenge them and if we challenge them the correct way. I I agree with all of that. What I will say, though, is what I see more and more when I get an LTD file, when I have someone come to see me, is that not only is it not um, a doctor that has assessed them, more often than not, there isn't even a doctor that's reviewed the file. Uh, the adjuster will either do it themselves or they'll have a um, a medical specialist or a medical consultant, um, something that you could put air quotes around because what it really means is not a doctor. They have someone review the file. Maybe they have a background in kinesiology or some other um, related field, but it does not mean that they are a medical doctor and it does not mean that they have the expertise to be able to properly assess a, a, a file or to even do an in-person assessment, let alone 
to contradict what a treating doctor is saying. I see that more than anything. So, you know, I, I would look forward to an insurance company actually going to the trouble of hiring a doctor to do an actual assessment. At least, you know, they're doing what they can in those circumstances, even if it's not the perfect doctor. But more often than not, I don't even see them go that far. So when your insurance company says that the medical evidence doesn't support it, even though your doctors are saying that um, you can't go back to work, oftentimes it's based on even less than a medical opinion that contradicts your doctors. John, one last point that I would make is this. You have a right to request the report that was created by that medical specialist, quote unquote. Uh, get that report from your insurance company and give that to your doctors and have your doctors actually go through it because chances are your doctors are going to be able to write a rebuttal uh, to write something to the insurance company that explains why it is that their medical specialist is completely wrong uh, in arriving at the conclusion that he or she has, has arrived at. I want to flip over to an email, guys. Dan from uh, Toronto here. We'll get to yours in just a moment. You want to send one along, simple, help at inyourcorner.ca. The number anytime is one eight three three in your corner And, of course, Global TV, we are on there as well with this show, a 30-minute televised version of In Your Corner. That happens Sunday mornings at 8.30 on Global. Lots more of In Your Corner is on the way. Stick around. Short break right here. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. The number to get a hold of Savan James, rest of the team at the firm is one eight three three in your corner. That's one eight three three four six nine sixty eight seventy two. Email is help at inyourcorner.ca. Couldn't be much simpler than that. Dan has promised you're up. Says uh my uh, my husband is 52 and used to work as a mechanic until two and a half years ago when his knees gave out. He is on long-term disability. He is on heavy pain medications and can hardly walk for more than a few minutes without resting. But the insurance company has recently said that they think he should be able to do something or they've arranged for him to see a doctor. Does he have to go to that assessment and should we be worried? Well, there you go, right? Unfortunately, the answer to both of those questions is yes. Um, he does have to go to the assessment unless, of course, you know, generally speaking, when your insurance company asks you to go to an assessment, yes, you have to go under the policy unless they're asking you to go to an assessment every week and they're shopping for an opinion. In those circumstances, they really couldn't be for, they couldn't be um, allowed to force you to go to an unreasonable number of assessments. But, you know, if this is the first one or the first one in several months, um, it would be reasonable for them to ask you or your husband to do that. Um, so, yeah, he's going to have to go, um, but you should also be worried about it. And this is something that we've talked about on this episode and on previous episodes. When your insurance company sends you to get an assessment with a doctor, you know, they are looking to get their own view of it, but the reason yep. for that is because they think that they might have a basis to challenge what your treating doctors are saying, and they're going to be looking for that. And, you know, one thing that's sort of underlying this here is they have their own roster of doctors, and they're paying their doctors for those opinions. And even if their doctors are, you know, doing good work, at the end of the day, they know who's paying their bills. Um, and, you know, it's pretty difficult for them to get a, you know, for them to not factor that in in some way, um, to not have that influence their decision, because they know that if they, you know, too many times, if they say that the treating doctor's um, opinion is correct, and that this person can't go back to work, if they say that too many times, they're going to stop getting work, they're not going to be getting more files from that insurance company. So how can that not have an impact? How can that not affect what their opinion is at the end of the day? So yeah, you have to be worried. You have to be honest um, when you go to, to that assessment. You have to tell the truth. Um, but you have to be prepared for the fact that they very well may follow that up with a letter saying we're cutting you off at this point.
And John, this person became disabled two and a half years ago. So presumably that person was either on EI sick benefits initially or in short-term disability. Right. And again, we're dealing with that two-year mark, I think, because my understanding is that they think that he should be able to do something else, even though he's worked as a mechanic uh, for all these years and he's 52 years old. Again, remember, uh, in many, many cases, you will be cut off or told you're going to be cut off around that two-year mark or just before that two-year mark. You can challenge those decisions. Do not take them at face value. This is the big message here, and we keep hammering this week after week after week here as well as on the TV show. You have rights against the insurance company. You can enforce those rights. Don't think and don't assume that the insurance company is going to want to battle you all the way to court. As soon as you challenge their unfair denial, as soon as you start a legal claim, and this is exactly what we do, that's very different than an appeal where it's not a legal process, it's an internal process where you have no leverage over them. As soon as we start a legal claim, they now internally go into a a defense mode. They're trying to figure out how they can stop the money bleed. Because remember, when we start a legal claim against them, internally now there is a new adjuster whose job it is to shut the claim down. Shut it down, why? Because it's costing them money to defend the case. Remember, we used to work for insurance companies. We used to, both James and I used to, uh, get claims and, and defend insurance companies and try to save insurance companies money. They're not in the business of simply fighting claims, especially claims w- that they think they're going to have to pay out on. But they also know that in many instances, they'll cut people off, uh, sometimes fairly, sometimes unfairly, but they're assuming that the vast majority of people out there will not challenge those decisions. And if you walk away from a claim, from a case where you are owed money, you are giving the insurance company a big, big gift, and there's zero reason for that. And John, I'm talking about cases where my clients have been cut off, and after we became involved, months later, maybe a year later, we settled with the insurance company for you know tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and sometimes even more. So please, please, if you've been denied long-term disability, or if you know someone that's been denied long-term disability, have them contact us or you contact us on their behalf. Let us take a look at the case. Let us take a look at the denial letter. Let us take a look at the medical documents, at the policy. We can tell you at no cost to you within minutes whether or not you can challenge the insurance company. And if we tell you that you can challenge the insurance company, trust me, you can take that to the bank. We will push back on the insurance company. We will make them pay what they owe you. More of your emails are on the way and questions. Uh, you have them. Uh, feel free to email help at inyourcorner.ca. That's where we're going to go with Cassandra here in a few moments. And toll free anytime, one eight three three in your corner. That's 469-6872. And a reminder again, Global TV Show. We do this show on TV. In Your Corner happens Sundays at 8.30 a.m. Lots more In Your Corner is on the way. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. The number anytime. Get a hold of James, Savan, rest of the team, one eight three three in your corner. Email is help at inyourcorner.ca. You know, guys, you've often talked about uh, how it's, it's not difficult to resolve long-term disability disputes. You, you remind us of that each week. Uh, when they are resolved, does your client get a check for a lump sum payment or do they get uh, monthly payments? How does, that, uh, how does that all work? And is it taxable? I guess that's uh, also an important question. Far more often than not, when there's a settlement, it will be in the lump sum. So the client will get a payment not only for all the benefits that they ought to have received from the time they were either cut off or denied their benefits to the date of the settlement, but also for any benefits that they should be entitled to into the future based on 
what their doctors are saying and perhaps what the insurance doctors are saying. Um, and that would obviously be negotiated at a mediation or settlement conference. That is a typical settlement. settlement that is the way that it works. Very occasionally, um, there is a situation where the individual would be paid a lump sum for what they're owed up to that point in time and then be put back into the insurance policy. So back on claim is how it's referred to. And, you know, that happens on occasion, but more often than not, neither side really wants that. From a from the perspective of the person making the claim, the person who's been cut off, our clients, um, it doesn't make a lot of sense. They usually don't want it because, number one, they're getting less money up front. They're not getting the payment for the future benefits now. They have to wait each month to get their check. Number two, they are dealing with their insurance company again. So the specter of being cut off in the future is still there. There's no guarantee that they're not going to turn around and cut you off next month or three months from now or a year from now or whenever that is. Um, also, you're going to have to continue to go to assessments um, as requested by your insurance company, and you're going to continue to have the stress of dealing with the insurance company on an ongoing basis. So almost no clients ever want to ha- to be put back into the claim. From the insurance company's perspective, believe it or not, they usually feel the same way. For them, if they can resolve it with a lump sum payment, they get cost certainty. So they don't have to worry about how much it's going to be worth, they know. Um, It's less expensive for them as well. The less files that they have, the less open claims they have, the less adjusters they have to pay. So they save money that way. They also save money because they don't have to continue sending you for assessments or treatment if that's covered under your plan as well. So these are all ways why the insurance company or reasons why the insurance company would prefer to just settle it on a full and final basis. So far more often than not, that's the way that a settlement is going to work. Whether or not the policy is taxable is really going to depend on whether you're paying for it yourself. And typically, if that's the case, it will not be taxable or whether it's a benefit through your employer. And most often um, that will be taxable. But the thing to remember is even if it's a taxable policy, it doesn't mean that the entire amount is going to be taxed. Only the portion that is attributable to anything up to the date of the settlement. So in other words, anything from the time you were cut off or denied up to the date of that settlement, only that portion is taxable. Anything paid for future benefits will not be taxed. And the other thing is even the part that is taxable, it doesn't mean that um, you don't get all of that money or you you don't get uh, most of that money. All it means is that there's a certain portion of it that has to be withheld and remitted to the government, to the CRA. Um, to cover whatever portion of that would be payable in taxes. But more often than not, you're going to be in a pretty low tax bracket in a year where you're not making any income other than disability. And so even if some of that is withheld because it's taxable, you will probably get a refund at the end of the year. Now, I'm not going to start giving tax advice because that's well outside of my wheelhouse. But the, the point of it is the tax implications are usually pretty small if they're there at all. You know, John, I I agree with everything that James said. It's interesting to me that the way you phrased the question and the way that we've been just discussing it in terms of how do you structure a settlement? Is it a lump sum? Is it ongoing payments with retroactive pay? Again, if you come to our office and we tell you you have a case, we are going to have that discussion at some point uh, in, in the claims process. That discussion being, what kind of a settlement do you want? But just think about that for a second, John. We're talking about individuals who've been told by the insurance company flat out, you do not deserve a single cent more than what we have paid you. Or in some instances, you've been denied outright. You've, you've not been paid anything for LTD. And here we are talking about what kind of settlement you could be looking at. Again, I'm trying to make the point 
that you should not take what the insurance company is telling you at face value. Don't simply assume that if they cut you off or if they deny your claim that you have no rights. Once we tell you you have a case, I can, I'm not going to guarantee that, but I can tell you in the vast majority of cases, we're going to have a discussion down the road, not whether or not you get money for your disability, but how much money and how it's going to get structured. Is it going to be a lump sum or is it going to be a retroactive pay with ongoing payments? Tell me this, so this is something that uh, that James did mention earlier, and he says about retroactive pay. Is this not another reason to get on this right away and not wait because that time accrued is a taxable income? So should you not act on this quickly? That, that's an excellent point. Absolutely. In fact, in many cases where you haven't paid 100% of the premiums for the policy, where your employer had paid for the policy or, or partially paid for it, uh, you're right. The, the policy is going to be taxable. So think about this for a second. Let's say that you are cut off today and you wait a year before coming to us. And then it takes us another six months to resolve your claim. Well, now if we have a settlement and part of that settlement includes that year and a half of pay that you are owed, that year and a half of pay is going to be taxable. And if we're dealing with a lump sum payment where you're going to get some money for the future, the future amounts are not taxable. So, you know, let's consider another scenario. Let's say that you are told, as in many instances, that you're going to get cut off, let's say, three months from now. And we do something about that now. We start a legal claim now. And let's say that we settle with the insurance company in three months, right, mm-hmm. such that there is no gap in terms of the money that's coming into you. And let's say the settlement is almost all based on a future amount that you are owed by the policy. Well, in that scenario, you're not going to be paying tax on that future amount. So my point is this, the longer you wait to contact us, the longer the the claims process goes in a taxable type of a policy, part of the settlement is going to end up being taxed at the end of the day. So the faster we move on this, the better it is for you. That's the message. The less tax you're going to pay with respect to those policies where you are going to be uh, paying tax on on the LTD amounts that you're getting. Going to slide over to Cassandra's email after we take a short break, guys. That number is one eight three three in your corner. That is one eight three three four six nine six eight seven two, or help at inyourcorner.ca as well. In your corner, the number one eight three three in your corner. That's four six nine sixty eight seventy two, or help at inyourcorner.ca. The TV show happens Sunday mornings at eight thirty on Global, of course, called In Your Corner. So make sure you try to catch that. If you have not uh, so far, Cassandra, uh, I know you've been waiting your email right now. Cassandra writes in to you guys, says, I've been on long-term disability for just over a year, and my doctor has been writing letters to my insurance company saying that I am disabled from working. My insurance adjuster called me last week and told me that she disagrees with my doctor's assessment and that she thinks that I need to start trying to go back to work. I was literally shaking when I got off the phone with her. I don't know what to do. My sister listens to your show and told me to email you right away. Well, Cassandra, thank you for emailing us. And let me start off by saying you are not alone, okay? We get a lot of people contacting us. Um, on on behalf of themselves or on behalf of others that they care about. And again, they feel like they are being victimized by the insurance company and they feel like they have no options. And the reality is you have options. So the fact that your insurance adjuster called you up and told you that she disagrees with your doctor's assessment is laughable. And, And it's laughable because the adjuster doesn't have the same expertise as your doctors. Now, maybe the adjuster... Uh, went to a quote-unquote medical specialist, perhaps someone they have on the roster, perhaps uh, she didn't. Perhaps she simply looked at all the documentation and decided that she's going to give herself an MD degree and on the basis of that tell you that she disagrees with your doctors. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's meaningless to me. I'm going to take a look. If, I, if I'm helping you, I would take a look 
at the medical uh, reports your doctors have submitted. I will take a look at your policy. If there is a denial letter, which I assume there's going to be here, I'm going to take a look at that, and I'm going to tell you at the end of the day if I think you can challenge the insurance company. But again, the fact that the insurance adjuster is telling you what she's telling you, in my mind, that's it's a psychological game that they're playing. Oftentimes, uh, they will befriend you at the beginning, and then subsequently, they will tell you there's nothing they can do. And sometimes they'll even be bullish about it. They, they will, they will, you know, bully you, you know, even into submissions and make you think that you have no options. You can't do anything because they've decided that you no longer qualify for LTD or that you just don't, you know, have any leg to stand on if you were to challenge them. And that is simply not the case in the vast majority of cases. So thank you for emailing us. Thank you to your sister for telling you to contact us. Because as soon as we look at the documentation, we will be able to tell you objectively whether or not you have a case. And my sense is, just based on what you've written us, that little paragraph, my gut sense is you probably will have a case, but I want to see the documents. One thing I really want to add, um, when, I, when I hear this, when I hear someone say that they have a visceral reaction, they're shaking, literally shaking after speaking to their adjuster, um, that may well be intentional. Um, it may well be the case that your insurance adjuster um, wants you to feel scared, wants you to feel like there aren't any uh, options out there. Because more often than not, when people feel that way, they give up. And that's really what they're banking on. They know that if they do this to 100 people, the vast majority of them are just not going to do anything about it. And the few that do, if they wind up having to pay them, so be it. They come out pretty far ahead. The good news for you is as soon as we get involved, you're not going to have to deal with your adjuster anymore. That's going to be on us. Every conversation from the point we're retained onwards flows through us. You don't have to have any contact with them anymore. You only speak with us and we'll let you know what's going on. But anytime that the insurance company wants to get any information, anytime they want to talk to our side, they talk to me or Savon or someone on our team. So that's the really good news is you can start focusing on your recovery. You can start focusing on getting better and stop worrying about having to um, take phone calls from your adjuster or go to other assessments. Once we get involved, that all ends. Guys, I think we got time to slide uh, email uh, from Dale in here. By the way, reminder, help at inyourcorner.ca. The phone number one eight three three in your corner. Dale says, uh, my mother fell at a large department store last week and broke her hip badly. She's in hospital. Apparently, she tripped over hangers that were on the floor. You've talked about hazards and negligence. Is that included? Can she make a claim for her injuries? She's 66, and now my sister and I take turns taking care of her at home, like cleaning for, cooking, running errands, etc., etc. So a couple things um, I want to address here, Dale. First of all, whether or not this uh, department store is going to be found to be liable at fault for this accident is really going to depend on um, what information they can show about how carefully um, they've maintained the store, how carefully they've made sure that things were put away properly. So a retail store, for example, isn't going to be held to a standard of perfection. Um, you know, it would be entirely possible that, you know, a moment before your mother had walked down the aisle, um, some other uh, guest of the store had knocked something over. Well, it would be unreasonable to expect a retail operation to be able to correct anything like that in a matter of seconds. But if they didn't have policies in place and had no idea how long it had been there for, or worse yet, if there was evidence suggesting that it had been there for quite some time, then certainly they could be on the hook. The point of it all is it's really going to depend on the facts of the case. And until we get into it a little bit more, it's going to be difficult to know for sure. But there, there's certainly potential there for a claim. 
The other point that uh, I really would like to address is that um, you and your siblings taking care of your mother also have the right to advance a claim uh, against this department store under what's called the Family Law Act. And so that allows you to make a claim for um, anything that you're out of pocket for, if you have to miss time for work, if you're providing services to your mother, as well as a claim for the loss of care, guidance, and companionship. So essentially, if this uh, if this accident has had an impact on the quality of your relationship with your mother, or if your siblings or um, if your children's relationship with your mother has changed, um, that also would entitle them to advance a claim. So there is a way that you can get compensation for that, not just for your mother, but also for you, your siblings, and your children. John, I just want to add, this actually reminds me um, of a case that I had defended years and years ago when I worked for uh, an insurance company, and I was retained to defend a claim very similar to this. The lady was in her early 70s, and again, it was a hip fracture. She, She had surgery. There were some complications. And it was because of hangers that were on the floor, and, and my client, the department store, actually was not maintaining the area the way they should have. And John, without getting into too many specifics, again, similar fact scenario, my client ended up paying over $500,000 for this claim. Damn. And the reason they did is because that lady now needed a lot of care and ended up uh, needing to move in, into a home uh, facility that cost, I think, $3,500 a month. So you can have claims like this, uh, Dale, that can be, you know, from a value standpoint, worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe even more than that, depending, again, on all the facts. So if you are in that situation, you know somebody who's been injured, uh, unfortunately, a serious injury, whether it's a slip and fall, trip and fall, you know, we're in the winter season now, so slip and falls on ice, or a car accident, we, we deal with those kinds of cases. We will tell you exactly what we think. In some instances, we can help. In others, we can't. But the one thing that you will get all the time, you'll get the straight goods. You'll know exactly what your options are once you contact us and and, and once we review everything and tell you exactly what your legal options are. And we'll leave it off there for this week, guys. The number again, if you want to get a hold of Savannah or James Simple, 1-833-IN-YOUR-CORNER. That's 1-833-469-6872 or help at inyourcorner.ca. We go to TV, as you know, just started early. Now 2019 In Your Corner is on Global TV, Sundays at 8.30 in the morning. So next time, this has been In Your Corner right here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.